0: If you were to go up to someone in the street, keeping a two metre distance, obviously, but if you were to go up to someone in the street and ask them, what's the job of a church pastor? They might well say the job of a church pastor is to get people to believe in God, rather in the way that the job of a marketing executive is to get people to believe in their product. But, you know, I think that one of the hardest jobs in the industry must be marketing director of the Waitrose Essentials range. Now, Tesco everyday value, I get. Sainsbury's basics, I get. The clue is in the name. But how on earth do you persuade people that Waitrose Essentials includes things like sirloin steak, reduced fat hummus, stuffed green olives... Cypriot halloumi, not just any old halloumi, but Cypriot halloumi, two types of piccalilli, two types of Belgian pate, and flageolet beans. I'm not even sure how you pronounce flageolet beans, let alone why they are essential. Now, unsurprisingly, I am not the first person to point this out. The TAB website ran an article with what it called a list of the most unessential items from the range of Waitrose Essentials. The journalist gave stuffed green olives an essential rating of 3 out of 10. She said, Why would you subject yourself to these gross eyeballs of middle-class Satanism? Is pretending to understand and enjoy rugby not enough? Bit over the top there, I would say. I mean, you can blame Satan for many things, but stuffed green olives probably isn't one of them. And that little dig against rugby really isn't very helpful either, when clearly rugby is God's favourite sport. But you know, I kind of get what they're saying. Compared to getting people to believe in Waitrose Essentials, getting people to believe in God looks pretty simple. Now, maybe it's just because I'm not very good at being a pastor, but I've never actually seen my job in those terms. I don't think that my job is to get people to believe in God. My job is to explain to people the kind of God that they do or don't believe in. Because rightly or wrongly, I I think people either have a sense that there is a God or there isn't. There's a saying that goes back to Blaise Pascal in the 17th century. He said, There's a God shaped space in the heart of every person that can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God. And I think that people who believe in God have a kind of sixth sense that there is this space in their life that only the presence of God can fill. Pascal also said this we know the truth not only by reason but also by the heart but in this age of science that we live in we've kind of got used to listening to our reason and stopped listening to our heart as well but you know God has designed things so that we have to listen to our heart we have to make a decision based on whatever makes most sense to us, both in our heads and our hearts, as to whether we believe that there is a God or we don't. No one can prove that to us one way or the other. So I'm certainly not going to be trying to do that this morning. I just want to share what I personally find most persuasive and why I personally believe that there is. And equally importantly, the kind of God that I think he is. Now the reason I wanted us to play that video this morning is because I find it absolutely amazing. We already know that space is huge and there are lots of planets and stars and galaxies. But did you realise quite how big it is? And that's only the bits that we know about. Psalm 147 says that God counts the stars and calls them all by name. That's an awful lot of names. Psalm 19 says the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Psalm 8 says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And when you think about it in those terms, it is amazing that God should think about us and care for us. But he does. He cares very, very much. If we read the New Testament, even just a bit of it, we see that. We see how much God thinks about us and loves us and cares for us. We see that that is really what the whole story is all about. And of course, it's what Easter is all about as well. Now, I remember when I was a teenager, before I became a Christian, in fact, before I even understood what a Christian was, because nobody had ever told me, I remember believing that there was a God. I just had no idea who he was. And what I personally found most persuasive was when I thought about space. I used to ask myself if I could somehow travel in a spaceship to the very edge of space, wherever space finishes, what would be there? And if space goes on forever, then how is that possible? Or if it doesn't, then what's there after that? Is God there? What if every single bit of everything that we saw in that video just now could fit in the palm of God's hand. Now, if space does go on forever, then that means infinity. If we believe there's such a thing as infinite space, then it's not so hard for us to believe that there's an infinite God who created that infinite space. If we believe there's such a thing as infinite space, it's not so hard to believe in infinite life. And that the God who created that infinite space would want us to share in that infinite life because he thinks about us and loves us and cares for us so much. There's so much that we don't know about space and there's so much that we don't even know about our planet and our bodies. And I guess if ever there was a perfect example of that, it has to be COVID-19 right now. I'm sure that one day soon we will know. But what we will never be able to know in this life is about the existence of the spiritual world and a spiritual dimension to our lives. That the Bible says is just as real as the physical world, but it can't be seen and apprehended by our natural senses. Because as Pascal said, when it comes to spiritual things, We know the truth not only by reason, but also by the heart. Human knowledge and science is not going to answer the question whether there's a God. If we're waiting for reason to prove that, we will literally be waiting until we die. And for some people, they're happy to do that and just see what happens then. But as our old senior pastors, Mick and Lynn, used to say when we came to them with a, a really difficult problem, good luck with that one. If we're waiting for someone to prove God to us, we will be waiting forever. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Because there are some things that sight isn't going to tell us. Now I'm always slightly amazed that people who say I'll believe in God when science proves there's a God don't actually take the exact opposite approach. I'll believe there's a God until science proves that there isn't. Because I wonder whether it's ever occurred to them that if there is a God it's highly likely that he doesn't want science to prove or disprove his existence. And then when it comes to that other option of just waiting until we die and hoping for the best, isn't that a bit transactional? God is inviting us into a relationship with him now. God loves us now. And he invites us to love him now. The Bible says that eternal life begins now. Because eternal life is not just talking about a quantity of life, It's talking about a quality of life. And it defines eternal life as knowing God personally through Jesus. So if we're someone who believes that there's a God, but we're not actually that interested in knowing him now, then why would God force us to have eternal life when we die if we're not interested in that starting now? The Bible tells us that God loves us And that that is what he is all about. That he loves us with a passion. And his deep desire is that as we get to know him and we find out more and more about him, that we too will grow to love him with a passion. But it seems to me that if we're really only interested in knowing God when we die, because it sounds better than death, then that really isn't much of a definition of loving him with a passion. It sounds more like a marriage of convenience. It sounds more like a transaction. Personally, I doubt very much that St. Peter really will be standing at the gates of heaven with a clipboard and a list of names. But if he is and he says to us, tell me why you want to be in heaven with God and his people when you didn't want anything to do with him or them before now. It probably won't sound very persuasive for us to say, well, Peter, it has to be better than dying. If the person that you're about to marry looks into your eyes and says, why do you want to marry me? And in fairness, they're probably just fishing for compliments, but if they say, why do you want to marry me? And you say, well, it has to be better than being on my own, that probably isn't going to end well. You see, becoming a Christian is not like monopoly. It's not like having a get-out-of-hell-free card to keep in our back pocket just in case we need it. It's not like having life insurance that we hope never to need to make a claim on. It's not about a transaction. It's all about relationship it's not about life starting when we die it's about life starting now I don't know if you know what the word Christian literally means but it's a follower of Jesus someone who follows Jesus in this life and who follows Jesus into the next life And the reason that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday is not just because it proved he was God. It's because Jesus invites us to join him in that resurrection, to follow him into that resurrection. That was the whole point. You see, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a party trick to prove that he could do it. The resurrection wasn't just about him. It was about us as well. The resurrection of Jesus is showing us our destiny. That if we are joined to him in this life, we will also be joined to him in eternal life. One of the early Jesus followers called Paul writes to the early Christians in Rome and he says this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. By being baptised, which is part of becoming a Christian, we have been joined with him in a death like his. That's what baptism is picturing. So we will certainly also be joined with him in a resurrection like his. The resurrection of Jesus is crucial because it's the same power of God that raised Jesus from death that will also raise us from death. It's the same promise. And that word crucial comes from the Latin word for the cross. It means cross-shaped. God doesn't want us to become a Christian because we're scared about dying without him. He wants us to become a Christian because we're excited about living with him. It's not about a transaction. It's all about a relationship. It's about accepting his invitation to join his family. For him not only to be our creator, but also to become our heavenly father. John 1.12 says about Jesus, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God.